Today I want us to continue to look at Abraham, one of the greatest men in the Bible. His story is told in Genesis 12, 25. And when I say that he is one of the greatest men in the Bible, I'm not exaggerating. Outside of our Lord Jesus, the Christ, you can make a pretty good argument that he is the most important person in the Bible. Uh, consider these things. First of all, he's revered by the followers of three world religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. He is the founder of the nation of Israel. He is mentioned by name 308 times in the Old and New Testaments. He is uh, the preeminent man of faith in the Bible. He is a man whose life changed the course of world history. I want you to consider one further point as well. Abraham is the most important person in the Old Testament, while Jesus is the most important person in the New Testament. And how does the New Testament begin? Have you ever noticed this? Listen to the first verse of the chapter of of the first verse of the first chapter in the Gospel of Matthew, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. When Matthew wants to impress us with the significance of who Jesus Christ really is, he links him with the greatest king, David, and with the founder of Israel, Abraham. When the writer of Hebrews 11 wanted to explain what the life of faith looks like, he gave more space to Abraham than anyone else. Jesus spoke of Abraham's faith, and so did the apostle Paul. Over and over again, the New Testament repeats a simple phrase, Abraham believed God. Let's say that together. Abraham believed God. That's what faith is. It's believing God and then acting upon that belief. And so whenever we want to see what faith looks like, we look at Abraham. Reminds me of the story I, I was reminded of this past week about the child uh, was drawing in class and uh, he was just drawing so intently. Little Johnny was just there. just He was really working hard on his uh, picture and the teacher walked over and said, uh, well, Johnny, what are, what, what are you drawing there? He said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, well, Johnny, nobody knows what God really looks like. He said, well, they will when I get through. <laughs> and the thing is, whenever we want to see what faith looks like, you just look at Abraham and you can see. God has made it clear in his word what faith looks like. And the faith of Abraham, as I've said, is elevated from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. Now, in order to understand Abraham's life, we have to go back 40 centuries 
to a place called Ur of the Chaldees. I always like to say that, Ur of the Chaldees. It's just a, has a ring to it, Ur of the Chaldees. It was a large city on the banks of the Euphrates River, and that river still exists. It flows through Iraq, and it empties into the Persian Gulf not too far from Kuwait. Historians tell us that Ur was one of the most important cities of the ancient world. In Abraham's day, there were probably around 250,000 people living in the city of Ur of the Chaldees. There was an ancient university there and a large library. Ur was known as a center for mathematics, astronomy, and international commerce. It was like Chicago or New York or London or Singapore. It was also a center of pagan worship. Archaeologists have unearthed evidence that most of the people of Ur worshipped a moon god or goddess. Uh, it's a moon god, actually, called Nana. Interestingly, another name for that same god is Sin. I think that's interesting. S-I-N, Sin. And I think it's significant, too, that here in this great metropolitan area, the main focus of worship was Sin. Does that sound like uh, anything familiar today? It seems like a lot of people today worship sin more than anything else. We know from other places in the Old Testament that Abraham's family were idol worshipers, which means that he'd probably been brought up as an idolater himself. When we're first introduced to Abraham, he's about 75 years old. So we can all take heart, guys. Uh, we're just getting started. Just getting started. Uh, he, that was considered middle-aged back then. I think I'd like to consider that middle-aged now because that means I haven't quite reached it yet. Uh, he's a prosperous businessman. He's no doubt well-known by many people. He's married to Sarah and they have no children. As far as we know, Abraham is not looking for God at all. He's just doing his own thing. But God was watching Abraham. We need to all consider this. We need to consider that, that point. Abraham's life changed when God comes to him and speaks to him. And you know what? All of us were being watched by God. And there will be those times when he sees opportunities to get our attention. And whenever those opportunities come, he calls to us and he gets our attention. But the important thing is what do we do when he gets our attention? He's going to do it. He's done it already for all of you, I know. But what do you do when you come to those moments that become God moments because you have come into his presence and you know it and all of a sudden you know he's calling you to something. It may be to step up higher in your walk with him. It may be to walk away from something. It may be to go toward something. 
He comes to us at the right moment and he calls to us and gets our attention. God came to Abraham and he spoke to him. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. <clears throat> it would be an understatement to call this a pivotal passage in the Bible. Some have called this the single most important passage in the entire Bible. Everything else that follows Genesis 12, everything all the way through the Old Testament, including the coming of Christ, the establishment of the church, the promise of Christ's return in the book of Revelation, all of it flows from this great promise to Abraham that we just read. As I said, there's not a hint that God was looking for Abraham. I mean, that, that Abraham was looking for God at that time. But God watch, was watching him. Sometimes you hear people say, I found the Lord uh, true, but he found you first. Do you know that? He found you first. Salvation begins with God, not with people. He always makes the first move. And that's why the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's not like humanity formed a salvation committee and petitioned God for help. No, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. By the way, did you see Jesus in those three verses that we read from Genesis? If you look again, he's there all right. He's right there, even though you won't see his name. Look at the very last phrase. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now that's a pretty amazing promise if you think about it. How would one man like Abraham who lived 4,000 years ago bring a blessing to all the people on the face of the earth? I've already given you the answer earlier. Remember what Matthew 1.1 says about Jesus? He is the son of Abraham. Abraham himself is not the blessing, but all the world will be blessed through his descendant who would be born in Bethlehem 2,000 years later. And that's why people call this the most important passage in the Bible. God's telling Abraham, I'm going to give you some land. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Now, Abraham didn't know how all this was going to work out, but he didn't have to. That's one of the wonderful things about faith, about having faith in God. You don't have to know all the answers. In fact, you're not going to know all the answers. 
All he had to do was believe the promise that God gave. We get the benefit of looking back across history and seeing how amazing this promise of God really is. We know more about Abraham's call than he ever did because we know about Jesus. And we know how it's all playing out even today. Now, I just said that Abraham didn't understand the full implications of what God had just said to him. And that's a slight understatement. You'd be more correct to say Abraham didn't have a clue. Let's go back to the verse for a moment and see what God asked Abraham to do. First, leave your country. Next, leave your people. Next, leave your father's household. And then finally, go to the land I will show you. Leave this, leave this, leave this, and go. Makes sense. You can't go anywhere unless you leave where you are, right? You've got to leave before you can start going. Abraham was being asked to forsake everything that made up his life at that point in time in order to follow God's call. What would you do if you were Abraham, I wonder? You're in the prime of life. You've got a good job, a nice nest egg, uh, a home you like, friends you admire, neighbors who respect you. You're an upstanding, valuable part of the community. You've got a good future ahead of you. And the last thing that you're going to be wanting to do is move. And now God, whom you have just met, wants you to leave everything, your family, your friends, your country, your home, your business, your security. How is he even able to do that? I'll tell you how. God's presence brings a confidence with it. God's presence brings a confidence that the world cannot understand. Hebrews 11.8 puts it this way, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And that's always how life is when you're living by faith. Many times, uh, you'll be called to step out for God and you'll be precisely where Abraham was, believing God, but not having a clue about what was going to happen next. But he went. That is so important. He went. And that illustrates the central truth about the life of faith that we all need to embrace deeply in our souls and in our beings. You rarely see the big picture in advance. Even if you think you see it, you really don't. You can think you've got it all figured out, but you don't. God's plans don't make sense to us so many times. It doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what we've done in the past. It doesn't matter what our experiences are. 
when God tells us to do something and we do it, we're going to be surprised usually, and we're going to be pleasantly surprised. I, I remember Peter, when he just met Jesus, he'd been fishing all night long. And he had just come in, and then Jesus asked to borrow his boat for it to be a platform to preach from, and Peter lets him do it. You know all Peter wanted to do is just go home and take a nap, but he graciously lets Peter use his, uh, lets Jesus use his boat, and as he's there, after he gets through, Jesus uh, tells him, uh, you know, put out, let's, let's go out and see a bit. Peter goes out. And it says, throw your line out on that side of the boat. Do you remember what, what Peter said? He said, Master, we fished all night and we've caught nothing. There's nothing here. We've already been here. We've already done that. Nevertheless, if this is what you want, and he, they heave the net over and they wind up bringing in so many fish in the net that he has to call help to get other boats to come to gather up all the fish. And so what does Peter do? He then realizes he's in the presence of God. But see, if he had griped and refused, he would have missed a God moment. If he had depended on his past experience doing the same thing, he would have missed God. Do you see that? Whatever God is calling you to do at the moment, at that time, that's the time to do it. You can't put it off. You can't wait till later. You do it then, or you're going to have to wait who knows how long till another wonderful opportunity comes by. Abraham may have doubted, but he went. He may have argued, but he went. He may have wondered, but he went. When God calls, the only proper response is to obey and go. When Jesus called the disciples, that's how it was. You ever notice that? Uh, in uh, Matthew, we read, While Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, he saw two brothers. One was Simon, also known as Peter, and the other was Andrew. They were fishermen, and they were casting their net into the lake. Jesus said to them, Come with me. I will teach you how to bring in people instead of fish. Now listen to this, this next verse. Right then, the two brothers dropped their nets and went with him. Right then. They didn't wait. They didn't say, okay, yeah, we, we'll, we'll catch up with you. You're heading out toward so-and-so. We'll catch up with you tomorrow. That's not what they did. Right then, they dropped their nets and went with him. Then we, it goes on. Jesus walked on until he saw James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were in a boat with their father, mending their nets. Jesus asked them to come to with him too. Listen to this. Right away, they left the boat and their father and went with Jesus. Now here's another, again in Matthew. 
And Jesus was le- as Jesus was leaving, he saw a tax collector named Matthew sitting at the place for paying taxes. Jesus said to him, come with me. Matthew got up and went with him. Matthew got up and went. You see, when God calls, you get up and you go. You leave where you are and you head out where he's calling you to and where he's showing you to go. I like the way you know, Matthew didn't want to brag and about himself. All he says is that uh, he got up and went with him. Here's what Luke says about that. Later, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the place for paying taxes. Jesus said to him, come with me. Levi left everything and went with Jesus. He left everything and went with Jesus. Not everybody that Jesus called did that, did they? There's one case where it says, uh, he said to another, follow me, just like he said to those disciples before. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, to them, or to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. God said to Abraham, Leave your country. Leave your people. Leave your father's household. Go to the land. I will show you. That's the way the call began. And the response to faith has always been, get up and head out. When he calls, obey. When he calls, do it then. When he calls, don't wait. I have seen people put off responding to God's call for a lifetime. I've seen people strongly called to start serving as a minister and putting it off and putting it off until it just kind of evaporated away. Wait until things got right. I'm so grateful the night that the Lord called me that and I uh, and, and the night after he called me and I was talking with Sharon and we could just sense God's presence in the room as we compared notes about how he'd been calling both of us to a different life in a different way. And Sharon said, if this is what God wants, we need to get on with it. That's faith. And that's what we did. Even though we had good jobs and a good house and all that stuff, we gave our two weeks notice at work the next week. That week we gave two weeks notice And I didn't know how in the world. I thought I might be too old to become a Methodist preacher. I was 28 at the time. I didn't know. But it didn't make any difference what I knew. It's what God knew. 
and what God was calling us to. And so we got up literally and went first to Dallas and then all the way up and down Highway 59 a few times over a period of 40 years. But see, this is just it. He called and we went. And whenever you hear him calling, and let's, let's face it, some of you have heard him call in the past. You've heard him call you to come closer, come nearer. You've heard him call to start walking with him. You've heard him call you to a life of faith and you've hesitated to leave where you are. You've hesitated to leave your country, to leave your people, to leave your uh, father's household so that you can go where he wants you to go. This is something that uh, uh, it, it affects everything. It affects everything. It's one of those things that it's one of the biggest arguments in the church today. There are people that say, well, God loves me whether I go or not. So why do I have to go? Why do I have to obey? He loves me. Well, let me tell you, there's a difference between being loved and yes, he does love you. That's why he keeps calling to you. There's a difference in being loved and following. They're not the same thing. Salvation doesn't come from being loved. It starts with being loved, but you've got to start following. Now then, this is like I say, there's a, a lot of argument about this because there are a lot of people that are content and happy with their sin and they don't want to get up and leave their sin in order to follow Jesus. They, they're content and happy with so many things. They don't want to get up and leave. There was a man who was discontent and he knew he didn't have eternal life one time. And he knows that Jesus has the answer and he runs up to him and he says, Master, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus tells him, leave everything and come follow me. You know what? And, and he said, you know what it just said just before that, it says that Jesus felt a love for this young man. Jesus loved him. Jesus called him. And he told him what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. If he wanted eternal life, he had to turn away from everything in his past. He had to leave everything and follow him. You think it's any different for us? No, it's just the same. He calls and we've got to go. We've got to leave before we can go, though. We've got to make up our mind that Jesus is going to come before family. Jesus is going to come before friends. Jesus is going to be, come before any of the people in my life. Jesus is going to come before my country. Jesus is going to be first, no matter what. That's the leaving, committing that he is going to be first and foremost above all else, no matter how they might pull you or how, might, how they might try to influence you, you're going to leave them to follow Jesus. How about you? Yeah, you know, you've all heard that call. Did you follow? 
Sometimes you can follow for a while and then settle down. It could be this morning he's calling you to a different place. And as he does, I encourage you, don't hesitate. Get up and go. And as you get up and go, the blessings are stupendous. If you stay behind and stay where you are, you'll never know what could have been yours. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.